All right, you settled? I think so. Go ahead. Okay, well, you keep moving around, so <laughs> just... It's, Sorry. Okay. It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. This week, we cannot start the podcast without talking about what happened in Moore County. Oh, it was terrible. Shots were fired at a substation on Saturday. Over 40,000 residents in Moore County lost power. It has been restored as of Wednesday Wednesday night, and Duke Power just did a great job getting that restored. But, you know, it's playing into a lot of politics. Uh, the national media markets are covering North Carolina. They have not charged anyone with the damage to the substations yet. And on Wednesday, Governor Cooper, Duke Energy, and Moore County all together said they would offer a $75,000 reward for any information that would lead to an arrest or multiple arrests in that case. Now, if you get on social media, folks are implicating some protesters that were objecting to a drag show that was being held this past weekend, Saturday night. At this time of the shooting, uh, there's a drag show in Southern Pines. A lot of acrimony about that. There were some posts made on Facebook where some of the protesters seemed to be celebrating the fact that the lights were out, but there are no official ties between this group. I know a lot of allegations are out there, and we do know that the FBI has been involved. I believe that folks investigating it said all options are on the table as far as what happened and what motive was. But you're right, it was about 40 minutes into that drag show and there were people outside protesting when the power went out. A lot of people on social media are also saying that you know, we should call this an act of terrorism. Governor Cooper was asked that question yesterday on CNN. He kind of dodged the question. And it got me thinking about why don't we call it an act of terrorism? Talking to my wife about it, and she said, well, you know, I think if we call it terrorism, that could nullify some insurance policies because some insurance policies say acts of terrorism, you know, we're exempt from having the liability of your damage. So I texted Senator Todd Johnson about this. You know, he's an insurance broker down in Union County, and we went back and forth. He thought that if we do call it an act of terrorism, then we're then activating a number of federal requirements and programs. There are some insurance policies that do cover terrorism. He thinks it's the prudent thing for the investigation just to continue And, you know, we shouldn't really come out of the gate calling it terrorism. But that being said, he was very uh, emphatic that this is a horrific act and and could potentially be deemed a terrorist act. But I think right now we're wisely being cautious on this. So yesterday when we were at that event, we'd heard from someone, someone else that this was not the first damaged substation in North Carolina. And then I believe it was reported that near the town of Maysville, which is in eastern North Carolina, there was a substation that was intentionally shot and damaged about three weeks ago. And since then, we have learned, mainly through media accounts, that there are some handbooks out there on the internet Mm -hmm. that are encouraging folks to do damage to these substations. It is a way to protest. I believe we're going to see this addressed in the General Assembly. 
in 2023. From Moore County to Tim Moore. <laughs> it's a lot of mores <laughs> in this podcast. Uh, yeah, we were once again on the national media stage. Moore v. Harper was heard in the Supreme Court on Wednesday morning, and we are awaiting a decision that I guess, because it's kind of controversial, we really shouldn't expect something until the summer, right? That's when they release Spring, their- probably. Okay. I have to say, Sky, I listened to some of the audio. I read some of the transcript from the Supreme Court hearing. It's hard to follow all of the legal talk from the lawyers and the justices, but you're an attorney. What do you think? It's easy to see both sides of this argument. There has been a lot of national attention around, you know, this being a major decision that could impact democracy. And if you know one thing about the Supreme Court, they generally like to draw a narrow decision if possible, follow precedent, and guess what? The precedent is also from North Carolina, the Rucho case Mm -hmm. that impacts this case as well. But on the legislative leadership side, they're saying, hey, this is a very clear argument that our state constitution says that this power lies with the legislature to draw these federal congressional maps. We're only talking about federal maps. And on the other side, they're saying, yes, but we need that balance of power. So if you think about it that way, you could kind of see how the arguments could be made. An example, I think that someone drew out in one of the briefs was that Congress could pass a law and still it could be overturned by the courts. So you still have to have those checks and balances. That's the argument. From what I read, Chief Justice John Roberts and Associate Justice Amy Coney Barrett are the swing justices here. And to your point, it was said that their line of questioning seemed to indicate that they were looking for that very nuanced, narrow point to make on this. And that if they do rule in favor of the legislature, that we're going to see it right there between those two justices. And you could see it going the other way, too. And either way, I think it's going to be a narrow opinion. We'll just see how this plays out. So data is continuing to trickle in from the November 8th elections. You know, we know how it all turned out, but these numbers are really starting to tell us the story, who came to the polls and who did not. And that story is... We've read this book before. Mm -hmm. It is a fairly consistent election for North Carolina. And that is what the data said. Dr. Bitzer of Catawba College did an analysis on our election data and said, hey, Gen Z millennials not voting at a high rate. Less than a quarter of Gen Z voters turned out in this midterm election. And millennials not a lot better, over a third of millennials turned out. So those numbers remain very low. This article is well written. You can kind of see a breakdown by party, a breakdown by race, a breakdown by urban versus rural, all of those things that people really highlight when talking about elections. And at the end, he said, here's what Republicans should take from this. And here is what Democrats should take from this. For Republicans, it's simple. Keep doing what you do. In the short run, higher turnout rates for key GOP groups will continue to see you in the competitive but stuck battleground electoral environment. Now, for Democrats. He said it's also very simple. 
If you want to keep your federal candidates getting 48 to 49 percent of the vote, but lose to Republicans by the narrowest of margins time after time, keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) Keep getting your registered partisans to show up just at the state level, but allow your partisan opponents to show up at a higher rate. Ignore turning out voters under 40 years old. Ignore turning out core black African-American voters and ignore your regional dominance in the central cities. Now, I want to make a point about the lower black voter turnout. It was a tick lower than 2018. And it's interesting because Democrats were banking on Sherry Beasley being at the top of the ticket for that U.S. Senate race. Many on the Democratic side thought that she was going to turn out the black vote, but she did not. I had texted a Republican operative, just wanted to see what his opinion was about this. And he said, black turnout was down nationwide. North Carolina followed the trend. Enthusiasm for Biden wasn't very high. And anti-Trump sentiment was more motivating in 2018. So I guess you could argue that Trump got black voters to the polls in 2018, him not being on the ballot in 2022 was an indicator, but definitely a, I think, a surprise to many Democrats when they saw this data. Last week in our live event, we talked about the elections for House and Senate majority parties, as well as the Senate minority party. But this week we had news on the House minority side. Leader Robert Reeves, he was re-elected by his Democratic House caucus to serve as the Democratic leader there. And this week we got news that the deputy House Democratic leader is Representative Ashton Clemens from Greensboro. She's been a guest on the podcast. The conference chair is Cynthia Ball. She represents a district here in Wake County. And the legislative chair is Brandon Lofton down in Mecklenburg County. So on Tuesday, it was the monthly meeting of the Council of State, and that is all of your elected statewide officials. They met and Commissioner of Labor Josh Dobson announced he won't be running for re-election. This was a blow to a lot of folks. I'd say anyone who has worked with Commissioner Josh Dobson, whether you worked with him at the General Assembly when he was a House member uh, or you've worked with him in his current position of Labor Commissioner, I think across the board, everyone loves this guy, the way he does politics. In fact, I'll just go ahead and say it. No one does politics better than Josh Dobson. And uh, we saw him yesterday at the NC Free event. He was one of our panelists on the legislative panel. And I opened up with giving him an opportunity to explain himself. A lot of folks were coming up to him in the reception prior to the panel and just say it's not so, uh, Mr. Commissioner. But he did release uh, his statement. He pretty much said this yesterday. After much soul searching, I'm announcing that I will not seek re-election, nor will I be a candidate for any office in 2024. He went on to say that, you know, he's been in this North Carolina politics for 14 consecutive years. He's from McDowell County, so he lives here. I'm sure he's missing a huge part of his family life, and he wants to get back up the mountain. But in talking to him yesterday, prior to going on the legislative panel, he, you know, he did share he's not necessarily closing the door to politics. He is a young man, 41 years old, 
But right now, he just wants to hit the pause button. And, you know, he's still got two years on his term, and we're working with him on some projects. But he sounds like he's still energized for the work ahead of him. He also said in the media and on that panel yesterday, you know, I want to give folks enough time on both sides of the aisle to decide if they want to run for this office and be able to mount a campaign. Commissioner Dobson, your absence in North Carolina politics is going to leave a huge hole in our politics. It's our favorite time. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we've been on the road, so some unsubstantiated rumors (laughs) have been And if you know one thing about us on the road, it's that we will call you. (laughs) That's right. I mean, it's a long drive up to Asheville. You know, all due respect to Mike Clampett, Representative Clampett, but yeah, we we got on the phone and talked to folks. This is the thing about Brian. He cannot sit in silence, so... If you're just, you know, minding your own business on in the car, he's like, let's call. He'll say anybody. Let's call your mom. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have some unsubstantiated rumors to share? Yeah, just a few things. I mean, it's all around this attorney general's race that we're looking at in 2024. Okay. AG race, almost governor race. Here's the current slate that we've been talking about. So you got Tom Murray out there on the Republican side, maybe a Senator Danny Britt. Jim O'Neill in Winston-Salem talking about getting back, trying to run again. Mm -hmm. On the Democratic side, of course, you've got, you know, Jeff Jackson got a couple calls that there could be two other names on the Republican side. One would be current Congressman Dan Bishop down in Charlotte. His name has been mentioned. And then we heard and we were told this is a low level rumor. Mark Martin former chief justice of the Supreme Court. He's now at High Point University. Mm -hmm. I think he's dean of their law school. Dean of something (laughs) over there. I don't know. But uh, anyway, those two folks could be looking at it. I think Dan Bishop is probably the more viable rumor than Mark Martin. Anyway, just adding to more of the drama that we expect in 2024, that would be an interesting field. Yeah. And I think when you think about Dan Bishop, you're like, you're in the majority now. Why would you leave that to come back? But it's possible. I should also say it was mentioned that Wiley Nickel, because, you know, he's going to have his district redrawn. Yeah, I thought about that. He posted a photo yesterday of his campaign team getting lucky. They're getting 13 tattoos. I'm like, I hope those are temporary tattoos. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that district will be gone, I believe, in 2024. But anyway, a Wiley Nickel versus Jeff Jackson for attorney general. That would be really interesting. It'd be like the Brooks Brothers primary for attorney general. (laughs) Khaki pants, blue blazers, two guys, kind of are friends. But anyway, that'd kind of be a fun little primary to watch. Yeah. All right, so you got any unsubstantiated rumors? or substantiated rumors, give us a call and let us know. You know, we will talk about it. (laughs) We have had Travis Fain of WRAL, Kyle Villamain of The Assembly, and Tim Boyum of Spectrum on the podcast. We're continuing on our media tour, and we sat down with Jeff Tiberi of WUNC to talk about his career in life and politics. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. 
Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Jeff Tabiri, Capital Bureau Chief for WUNC, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You must have asked everyone in North Carolina politics <laughs> if you got to this point on the list. <laughs> no, Brian's been talking about having you on for a while. Mm-hmm. So my only question off the top is... Uh, yeah, this can, is a... You're actually the interview. <laughs> right. I mean, I, oh, oh, okay. But can I swear? Is there swearing? Is there sure. no swearing? Is there, I, don't, I mean, I don't think I'm going to do that, but you never know. Well, we don't want an explicit, you know, rating. So. Mother. Okay, I will, not, I will not do that. First, tell us about your current job. What does it entail on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so I, I, don't know, I guess I'll step back ever so slightly and just give you the week. Um, and in a given week, I'm producing two podcasts... Uh, one that drops on Wednesdays, one that drops on Fridays. Uh, I typically have one day where I'm what we call in-house the spot reporter or the spot news reporter. And that just means that I am taking news, taking audio from something that is happening, and I'm creating generally two or three little short radio pieces that will air during our local newscasts, during All Things Considered or, or Morning Edition. And those th- those are the big things. Um, you know, plenty of beat calls and, 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 and meetings with political folks and just trying to have a sense of what is going on, what is coming um, with the ebbs and flows of North Carolina politics. And then other things will emerge kind of sporadically um, throughout the, the course of my job. Sometimes requests from NPR, sometimes, um, you know, our education reporters working on something or something else is happening in-house. And, and they're like, hey, can you give us, you know, eyes on this or, or a little bit of, um, an, not an edit, I don't want to overstate it, but, you know, uh, can you just give us your two cents? Where else could we take this slightly political story? When does your day begin or does it ever end? Are you constantly going through the news and trying to figure out what you're going to cover? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, And there's been a change. So I've been in this role for eight years and there was a distinct before time, right? And then the pandemic hit and everything changed. And at the time I had a two year old and we pulled him out of preschool. And for the, you know, the first year or so of the pandemic, it was like working six to eight 30. Then my wife, who's a PA would go off to work and I would really be with him for a couple hours. He would crash, he would nap and I would work for a couple more hours. Then the afternoon was just kind of a hodgepodge juggling between work and returning phone calls and maybe getting some of those shorter news stories in. Uh, And then once the little guy went to bed, seven or so, oftentimes, again, first part of the pandemic, I would work from, I don't know, 7.30 to 9.30, 7.30 to 10, just tying up loose ends. That obviously has changed now. But for me at this point, does it ever turn off? Yeah, when I put my phone down, right? Mm -hmm. Like, truthfully, I get frustrated with myself between the hours of like five to seven. Because at that point, it's like, all right, I've been working for seven or eight hours. I've been, hopefully I have accomplished something today. Is there anything really so pressing that I need to have this phone out while trying to juggle two kids, while trying to check in with my wife who just came home from work? Well, either cooking dinner or handling the kids and, and trying to have some fun while she cooks dinner. And the, the answer almost always in, in those instances is no, Jeff, you don't need to have the damn phone out. So put, yeah. put it away. Let's step back a little bit. Sure. You said you've been in this job for eight years. Tell us about your journey getting to this job. I went to school at Syracuse University and I uh, graduated in 2006. And at the time, I wanted to be a sports talk radio host. That okay. was the big dream. Uh, I interviewed for jobs in Fort Smith, Arkansas and in Huntsville, Alabama. And I I don't know where I'd be today if I had started in Huntsville or Fort Smith. I didn't get either of those jobs. One of my good buddies in college 
Uh, he was also in the, the sports broadcasting lane, and I heard about an opening in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. It was not an opening that I had a particular interest in, and I forwarded it along to him. For anybody that listens to college sports, if you listen to like IMG Learfield, this is, I mean, Carolina and Duke are both under this umbrella. I think State now is too. This used to be called ISP Sports. So anyway, I forward the, the opening, the information along to him, and three or four days after we graduate, he walks into... Uh, our off-campus, my off-campus house in Syracuse, New York, and he's like, hey, I've been, uh, I've been emailing with this guy, Chad, and uh, I got an interview in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And you don't know, Chad, but I do. Uh, or, and I mean, I do. I did well in that moment. And I'm looking at him going, I know the next thing that's going to come out of your mouth because you have no money and you have no car. <laughs> so I said, Chaz, how are you getting to Winston-Salem, North Carolina? <laughs> he goes, you're driving me. I got you an interview, too. Wow. So we drove down a couple days later. That led to a sports broadcasting job in Winston-Salem, which was like part-time, full-time, kind of like our legislature. And I needed a little bit more just to, I don't know, round out the hours, round out the, the, the rent and the bills. So I, I got connected with a public radio station in Winston, WFDD. Mm-hmm. I edited a medical show, um, Health Matters. I was the producer and editor of that. Okay. Uh, it was not on the air. And I did a weekly sports commentary. Okay. At the age of 22, um, wow. within a year, I did. I was the morning edition host. The GM called me in. They had let somebody go, and she said, "Hey, I need you to be a team player here. I need you to to do the the morning news." And at this point, I think I was 23, and I was like, "Yeah, how, for how long?" <laughs> and she was like, "Just till we get somebody in." So I did that for four years until I left for WNC. WNC for three years or so, and then uh, kind of similarly, I guess maybe I'm easy. I'm pushover. My news director called me into uh, his office in 2015. I was like, hey, we're making some changes. Um, what would you be interested in doing? And I was like, a higher ed could be interesting. You know, some some business or economics reporting could be interesting. This, that, and the other. I gave him four or five examples. You didn't give sports? I think I learned at that point <laughs> that they're, they're, the, the appetite for sports was just kind of limited. But I, I gave him a few options. Then I said, obviously, don't send me to the legislature because that would be a mess and I'd make some people mad and you'd have to clean up my messes. And he laughed and I laughed and I thought that was the end of it. Uh, and I found out later that night that the current or the, the then current politics reporter had had enough and wanted to change and they were they were moving me over there and he was just trying to warm me up to it. So I walked back into his office on Friday and I said, uh, Brent, I'm going to put my best foot forward. He said, I figured you would. That was eight years ago. <laughs> Why did you think you'd make people mad? Oh, I, I mean, I don't, I, I think there was a little tongue in cheek, but it was okay. like coming over in 2015, I missed, you know, the big transition from R to D, the add on of the super majorities, the moral Mondays, all like, I think like the first wave, the biggest wave of national attention was like, what's going on down there? I mean, I, I just, I truly, I didn't follow it that closely. So yeah, entered eight years ago and a lot of people have helped keep me sane and, and, and focused along the way. What do you think was the biggest learning curve for you? walking in with with very limited institutional knowledge if any Mm -hmm. um and i'm not trying to throw shade at anybody but the level of support i got from my employer versus the level of support and help i got from the capital press corps was you can't really compare those two right Mm -hmm. like i just there was not a lot of institutional knowledge within the place i worked for that was passed down to me so you know, Gary Robertson and Rose Hoban and Colin Campbell and Colin started just a few months before I did. But, you know, a number, I should name names. I know you leave somebody out, but a number of folks in that Capitol Press Corps helped me, Mark Binker, uh, helped me really navigate mm. what was happening when, why, like that's the most elusive thing on Jones Street, right? Why are, are things happening, the when, uh, and just trying to sort through the this is nonsense like this. I, I don't have the time, the bandwidth, the energy to track this down or to figure this out. 
versus what's in front of me, what's reportable, and how do I move this forward in a you know a contextual way for our listeners? Because that and that for me is is the framing that I'm often pivoting back to is like I work for our listeners, right? Like I work for WNC, right. but like I'm thinking about the listeners. What do they need to know, and how do I just you know put it on a plate that's that's digestible for them on a regular basis? Great radio voice. Is this a Syracuse <laughs> accent or is this a radio trained voice? You know, I could pull, I could pull some some somethings back from those sports talk radio days, and you'd be like, "Who's this goober?" <laughs> um, it's it, I, I think I think it's heard right. Like I think you just this is this is largely my voice. What I'll tell people is, if we go have a, a coffee or a beer afterward, like you're just going to hear more peaks and valleys. Like I'm an emotional guy, okay. right? Like this is this comes from great grandma Maria who came over from Italy, and like I'm just I'm an animated person, okay. but not when I'm reporting. Because I don't need to be like my opinions are irrelevant and my emotion is it's like calm down to Barry like let's you know uh, focus on on what's before you. So prior to Syracuse, where did you grow up? I grew up in a small town uh, about twenty miles west of Boston, Wayland, Massachusetts. It's in the Metro West area, and again, I don't know what you're going to cut and how quickly your listeners are going to tune out of this episode, but I'll say two things that I think are pretty interesting about Wayland, Massachusetts. My parents are now retired, but they were both in in education. I grew up in a town that was very affluent upper middle class I mean, it wasn't upper class but it was upper middle class like my, my my parents were teachers i didn't grow up upper class but the school had all sorts of extracurriculars had great funding mm. i was in a sports writers club wow. when i was in sixth grade right so sixth seventh and eighth grade and it was this place where i really got to cultivate writing and reading it out loud and having like just like a small audience like this but understanding that you can write and you can write for someone else. And I loved writing. I right. loved writing when I was 10 years old. And that just really helped to send me on my path. And you can talk about privilege and opportunity and like not very many 10 or 11 year olds have that kind of opportunity. Uh, the other thing that I, is kind of crazy about my high school is that there were 199 people in my class. Every Ivy League school accepted at least one person from my class. Wow. Um, we had seven people get into MIT and five people get into Harvard. Wow. And for context, people have said, don't, don't, don't tell people what I'm about to tell you. Don't, don't say that publicly. That's, that's not great. I don't really care. I graduated in the bottom third of my, my high school class. Wow. And Syracuse was like, oh, Syracuse. Oh, okay. Good luck to you. Like that wasn't, that, that almost had a little bit of like a nose turned up at it. And for me, like, I, I wasn't a particularly good student. That's where I wanted to go because Syracuse has an excellent broadcasting school. But that's where I grew up, Wayland, Massachusetts. In your job on a day-to-day -day basis, yeah. let's say the legislature is in session. Mm -hmm. Take us through your day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Where are we beginning, right? So, like, if it's in the budget process, if there's an 8, 8 a.m. appropriations meeting, maybe I'm there in that room by 8 o'clock. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm monitoring that remotely, and I'm checking in and in that room to observe some of the body language and, and just some of what's playing out over the course of three or four hours. Uh, if we have an update, like if something not really like the, the gears fine tuning um, and, and those of us in the bubble really care about it, but something maybe a little bit more broadly, uh, more broad has, has passed, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to do um, a spot news piece, a, a minute long report from the legislature. I'll send that back uh, and WNC will have that for the afternoon. Um, let's say th there's a bill, whether it's a budget or whatever the, the piece of legislation may be, comes out of committee and then it's on the floor um, later that afternoon. It's through the through one chamber. Then I'll turn something for the next morning. If it's and we'll pretend this is a Tuesday and that I had done an interview the previous Friday with uh, Dealer's Choice. Uh, how about John Bell, House Majority Leader? 
I'm, I'm editing that uh, kind of around what else is going on throughout the flow of the day um, and packaging. Because I, I, I don't know if people know this. I don't know if people care. But the podcasts that I do, I produce and edit those. So mm-hmm. I'm doing those um, throughout the course of, um, of that Tuesday or Wednesday, and then we'll drop it on Wednesday. And how do you decide who you're interviewing for your midweek podcast? Yeah, it's a great question. And I wish I had like a, a smart concise answer for you. I don't know if I do. So I've been doing that podcast for six and a half years, give or take. You started it, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Was it 2016? I think, yeah, because we were doing it during the 2016 election. I I turned to my editor in early 2016. I was like, hey, I was like, I think we should do a podcast. What do you think? Because one of the critiques that I gotten from my bosses, critiques are good, critiques are healthy, was we feel like, and I had been there a year and a half, two years at that point on the beat, and they, they said, uh, you, we feel like Jeff is really understanding the, the beat better, but we're not getting enough of that out of your reporting. We, wanna, we want more of the, you know, the reporter's notebook, if you will. We want you to mm-hmm. share some more of what you're, you're learning, hearing, understanding. And I was like, okay, feels like a podcast could be a decent place for that. So anyway, I went to my boss. I said, hey, what do you think about this? And he was like, I- I've been thinking about it too. I think it's great. So w- we send it forward. In those six and a half years, there are a few people that have been repeat guests, right? Senator Berger, Speaker Moore, Governor Cooper, um, certainly some members of the media, right? Like I think Gary, the Associated Press Statehouse reporter, Gary Robertson has been on a couple times, but I'm often looking at that like four to six weeks out mm-hmm. and I'm trying to have a little diversity within the four to six weeks. And when I say diversity, uh, lawmaker versus media member, Republican versus Democrat, uh, male versus female, uh, white versus black. And like, you know, this is politics and it's politics in the South and it skews disproportionately to white men. Um, but I think we've, I have tried over the last six years to, to try to reach in um, and get a, a, you know, a varied collection of voices as we've gone along. And it started more as just one-on-one interviews. And I think what we've done or what I've done in the last year or two is to try to have some issues, some of those Wednesday podcast episodes that are a little more topic-centric and or like right before the election, right afterward, had a, I think we had maybe six voices. I had six voices kind of setting up the election predictions, mm-hmm. what they were looking at, so on and so forth. And then coming out of it, we had three last week. And I, I, th- I mean, it, some of this is just personal preference. Like I love what y'all do. Um, and I love those one-on-one interviews. I also like when you have a collection of voices and it's just like, you know, something as simple as like, Hey, like what's going to be the driving factor on, on November 8th. And you've got a, a righty, a lefty and an undecided, but whatever it may be, right. I mean, it, it adds to what you're hearing. Let's talk about those one-on-one interviews yeah. you were doing, I guess, four years ago. You interviewed then-House Rules Chairman David Lewis. Jeff, I have listened to that <laughs> podcast edition three or four times. Well, let me tell you why. You were asking him a lot of policy questions. Mm-hmm. I can't even remember his answers. I think it was about judges, and it was redistricting and things like that. But then you got into Representative Lewis's he has a, a stutter or a mm-hmm. stammer. Mm-hmm. I don't know what we're supposed to call it. I think a stutter is fair. It's okay. a speech impediment. Okay, yeah. it was a speech impediment. Is a speech impediment. He's no longer in the General Assembly. Completely different story there. He opened up in a way that I'd never heard Representative Lewis open up. You asked him about growing up mm-hmm. with this stutter, uh, how it affected him in politics. Mm-hmm. He admitted, you know, he had been bullied. It had been an issue. And I would just go back and listen to it and listen to it. And you gave us so much texture about this very powerful legislator. Mm-hmm. And then when Sky and I were talking about the podcast and Sky was her idea, 
one of the first things I thought of is we get to ask folks personal questions. Mm-hmm. That would be really interesting. Yeah. Can you talk about that interview a little bit? What were you thinking in that moment? Did he know those questions were coming? Do you remember it? I do. I do remember it. It's been, I think, dear, uh, it's been about three and a half years. And I had a good relationship uh, with him when he was at the legislature. I am, generally speaking, somebody that is a big believer in, in respect and meeting people where they are, whether that's a Republican lawmaker, a progressive lawmaker, uh, just whoever it is. I it should go without saying, but it doesn't necessarily go that way in politics. I always had a good rapport with him. He was somebody who returned calls and returned texts, and I had had a number of good conversations with. And this is something of, of an aside, but I remember one busy day at the legislature. I feel like it was probably 2019. I don't know. They were just carrying on. There's a whole bunch of BS going on. It might have been the summer. But I, call, I needed him for something. And I'm like chasing after him at 445. And he's with his chief of staff at the time. And I was like, Representative Lewis, Representative Lewis, can you just pause for a second? <sighs> he turns around and looks at me. I was like, how you doing? He goes, Jeff. He's like, I tell you, you should have to do filing, <laughs> candidate filing, <laughs> the first 10 days that we're gone. And I was like, what? <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about? Because that's not what I wanted to talk to him about that day. I was like, what? Huh? He goes, he goes, there's just so much nonsense going on. And I'll tell you. <laughs> that they should have the candidate filing period within the first 10 days or 14 days after we leave. He goes, you would weed out a lot of people around here. <laughs> and, and, you know, just, just like being who I am, being like, I was just like, would that weed you out? <laughs> and he goes, he goes, what did you want to ask me? <laughs> so we had a good relationship. And I was interested in hearing him, in his words, talk about this challenge for him. I mean, this is, yeah. at the risk of making a bad analogy, this is like a writer who has to deal with dyslexia. Right. Or this is, I don't know, this, this would be like a hair model having to, to <laughs> overcome baldness. Like, this is a real thing. That's that's less of a thing. But Jeff is pointing um, to his I'm pointing bald to my head. bald head, for those of you who don't know I'm bald. Um, but... He didn't shy away from speaking. He spoke all the time. He spoke in rules committees meetings and and, and to reporters and and on the floor. So we never, I never, and I hope most journalists never share questions with someone before we're going to sit down with them. But I had had a a back and forth with his then chief of staff. I think he was then chief of staff, Mark Coggins. And I had said, hey, you know, I want to talk about, because oftentimes what, what comes in from the um, the support staff, the, the the staff members is, well, what do you like? Just give us a sense of what you want to talk about so they can be loosely prepared. And I was like, ah, oh, redistricting uh, is top of mind. I was like, you know, I would be interested to hear from Representative Lewis about his his speech challenges, like if he if he's up for that. And Mark said, I, I think so. I, like I think he I think he would be, or I'll let you know if he's not, or something like that. And in that interview, if I remember correctly, I mean, I asked the question and he just he talks for five or six minutes. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't it didn't take much, mm-hmm. um, which to me says, you know. That is, it It was some level of acceptance. It was some level of, he. I mean, he's, he's, he's middle-aged. He's 50-ish, maybe not quite at the time. And he, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't have a speech impediment, but I would imagine that if you've dealt with something like that for so long, you're ready to talk about it on some level. And no, he didn't. I don't think he had ever been asked about it. I don't know if he subsequently talked about it. I know. I don't yeah. think so. And I'll, I'll just say it again. Like, it is a big part of what we're doing here and it was inspired at least for me from that interview you did with representative lewis and you went on to do you know representative reeves you guys talked a lot about sports mm-hmm. i believe you had greg meyer on now going to the senate I, I love that i think you even did an outro from that interview where you're playing public enemy uh, fight the power yeah. and about his love of music that. like yeah. it, it yeah. just 
when you were doing those deep dives mm -hmm. on the personal interviews, I, it was just so inspiring. It was so insightful for those of us who work down there. I appreciate that. I think that uh, to some degree, I don't want to say they were easy to do, but almost all politicians have a story, right? Mm -hmm. Like they want to share their story with you. Yeah. And I think in a certain setting, they're more willing, more likely to do that. Longtime podcast listeners might ask, why did you take away all the different sounds of the legislature at the mm. beginning? The good intro, remember? Oh, Had North Apodaca. Carolina. I remember uh, yeah. that, that song. Yeah. What happened there? <laughs> tell us. Do I have to? <laughs> no. No, oh, I will tell you. I will tell you. Listen, there are moments you got, I mean, you guys run your own shop here. You answer to each other mm -hmm. or what you, you, you make it. I answered other people. Okay? okay. Okay. And it was brought to my attention, I think 2020 that we were using music uh, in not the most legal way. Okay. I thought it was I, like a seven second rule. You know, Sky, I <laughs> thought it was too. I, 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 don't even, I don't remember what the parameters of it were, but it was like, yeah, we can't be using P.D. Pablo anymore. And I was like, no, 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 but we got to use P.D. Pablo. Like that's the people opening. Love like, it. it's, people love it. It's great energy. I mean, you got all these voices interspersed and they're like, yeah, I can't do it. And I actually dragged my feet on it for a little while. I was like, can we check with legal? Like, can we make sure there's no way to do that? And eventually they're like, no. If it were on the radio all the time, my recollection is that it would have been okay. A portion of our Friday podcast uh, runs every week on the radio. The Wednesday podcast is a, is a, uh, occasionally runs on the radio. So that's why Petey Pablo and Tom Apodaca and they will see me in court and they do not have a good track record there. <laughs> all those yeah. great cuts came out. Very yeah. Did you try calling Petey Pablo? You know, you can make a donation to his public radio station. <laughs> we uh, there is a connection in house, and someone. If the answer to this is yes, I'm going to be shocked. <laughs> we tried to we tried to connect with PD. We okay. did not get there. Okay. Um, but there was there was a very loose. I'll call it a pie pie in the sky, a dream moment where it was like, could we? Someone evidently knew an intermediary and was like, I'm going to reach out and we're going to see if we can get him to do some track, some cut, something for us and for the politics podcast. And it was like, be my guest. Let me know. Never heard back. So, mm. so Jeff, a couple of weeks ago, you announced on social media that you were leaving yes, your sir. current position at WUNC. Right. Sounds like you're staying at WUNC. I am. I yeah. am. I'm not going too far. Yeah. Can you talk um, about I this can, transition? I can. Um, so listeners may or may not remember, we had a long running daily program called the state of things. And we are bringing back a daily radio program. Okay. Uh, there will be two hosts of said program and I will be one of them, All right. um, which is fun and exciting. And it will certainly include, I think some, if not plenty of what is happening in the political ecosystem here in North Carolina. But that's, that, that's it. And in, in a nutshell, it's very exciting. I wish I had more to share with you, like the name of the show, the time that it's going <laughs> to run, when we're going to launch. Those are details that will be worked out here in, in the months ahead. So, Jeff, in this announcement, you did mention that there is a posting for this job. They're hiring to replace you? They are. They're hiring to replace me, which I'm excited <laughs> about. Uh, you, you never want to see your job go away, particularly when you're in it. But as I mentioned, uh, I think a little while ago, I've been in this post eight years. When I started, I did not enter with a lot of institutional knowledge. I, I'm hopeful that we make a great hire and whoever that person is, uh, and it, I mean, it, it's truly an open search, but I, I would love for that person to just improve upon and grow and enhance the coverage that I, I think we have created in the, the local news space the last eight years. Like, I think we've done some good things. That said, there's plenty of room for improvement. Um, and I'm, I'm excited 
uh, for us to get another, hopefully even better, stronger political brain, political reporter in-house. Because I'm not going anywhere, right? Like I'm sliding over, so to speak. And I think that is better for us, and I think it's ultimately going to be better for our listeners. Well, that leads me to a question about your perspective, your ideas, your opinions about the state of journalism today. Mm -hmm. Not only the state of journalism in general, but here in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. A little context here. Uh, When I first started General Assembly, (laughs) that press room, which used to be across from where you do the press conferences, was full of reporters. Mm -hmm. Alamance County Center reporter Barry Smith, who's now over in insurance, uh, Newburn Center reporter. Wilmington had a Wilmington report. Star News. Yeah. Asheville Citizens Times, Winston Salem Journal, yeah. Greensboro News and Record. That was a newsroom. And now, you know, look, we have a very talented Capitol Press Corps, uh, a lot of consolidation, though. Mm-hmm. Can, can you talk about what your ideas are about this? So it, it's <laughs> the, the ebbs and flows of it. I mean, I think what you're talking about late 90s, early 2000s, maybe even a little bit earlier. But I mean, there were, there was a thriving press corps down there. And I think that some of it is uh, having representation from the news media markets from Cherokee to Currituck, as I like to say, yeah. across the state. It doesn't exist anymore. And most of the people who are in the pre- Capitol Press Corps are here in the Triangle. That's not ideal. Uh, I think that there are a few more members than there were, say, 10 years ago or right after the Great Recession. But there's a lot of room and need for improvement. I mean, New Bern, mm-hmm. eight years I've been there. I haven't, I don't think, unless it was like an opening session or something really big was going on, maybe some HB2 coverage, that a reporter from New Bern trickled in. And that's not good, right? Like this is, I, I say this and I, I don't say it sarcastically on, on my podcast, which is this is your state government. And the way that you can learn about your state government without rose-colored goggles or blinders is through the news media. I mean, there are other ways, of course, to do it, but that's an important one. So I I think coverage can be expanded and enhanced through collaborations. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of my pivots, one of the places I often talk about is North Carolina Health News. And Rose Hoban, who started that, she was, if people don't know, she was a healthcare reporter at WNC 10, 12 years ago. And I think that's that's the little engine that can right now. Mm -hmm. Like, I think they do some really great work. How... Do you do that to scale? How does she partner up? How does Health News partner up? And I'm pointing right here at WNC with other public radio stations across the state. They have had some partnerships with, for example, WFAE down in Charlotte. But that's just one example, right? And that's we don't have a full-time dedicated healthcare reporter. We We have north of a quarter million listeners a week. We WNC, we need to have more health coverage. That, that, that's just honest, honesty, just looking in the mirror. So health, health news is an example. Then you have Carolina Public Press, which has done some good investigative stuff in the last couple of years, but that's a smaller shop. Who can they partnership and where? And how do you utilize resources in a more efficient way? And then to, I guess, be a little bit even more honest and insular about it, we in public radio need to be better. Yeah. both in North Carolina and across the country. And I'm hopeful that this new endeavor that I'll be embarking on is going to be an opportunity for us to do that, to regularly turn to reporters in Asheville and Wilmington and Charlotte and, oh my goodness, Newburn, to get a better sense of what is going on on the ground. My biggest, I don't know if it's a gripe, my, my biggest hope, I'll try to be positive about it, is that in a couple of years, WNC has a reporter in a rural outpost, a rural reach of this state. All of our reporters are in urban or suburban areas. I'm, I'm probably the most rural one, and I live up near Falls Lake. Like, I'm still in Wake County. Right. 
this is, I'm not breaking any news here. We're a rural state, right? Yeah, Still right. In, in many ways. Yes, yes, we know the, the, the megalopolises, the, the metropolises are growing. But to understand what is happening in the state, why things are playing out in a certain way, who some of our most powerful elected leaders are, you have to have boots on the ground and have news coverage, journalists, in some of these places, not wake mech for Scythe, New Hanover counties. Right. Off my soapbox now. I remember working on a bill with Alamance County delegation, Representative Alice Bordson, Representative Kerry Allred, and mm-hmm. Senator Tony Force. All are out of the General Assembly now. But I remember you'd go to them, and I was working on this bill, and they said, we need to have some answers for Barry Smith, who was the reporter for the Alamance newspaper. Oh, you don't hear that. Anymore. You don't hear that. I mean, they're like, yeah, what are we going to tell Barry? Because he's going to have questions. And it's a big wow. missing piece of, I believe, of our democracy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, just that uh, the threat, the concern, the awareness of a, of a strong fourth estate that's going to check you or call mm-hmm. into question what you're doing and why. What is something you think you'll miss about being at the legislature all the time? When the legislature is in, in full swing and uh, when, when a lot is happening, real or perceived, there's the energy in the building, which you both know because you've been down there a long time. And it's neat to have been part of something. I mean, what we're just talking about. I mean, the, the, the big broad thing is the fourth estate. But like that Capitol Press Corps, like I, I should know, uh, but I don't. It, it's been there for as long as the building's been there. Mm-hmm. Like it's been there for at least 60 years. And before that, there was, you know, the Under the Dome podcast name that comes from, um, I believe, a News and Observer column under the dome in the yeah. old Capitol going back That's 200 right. years. So it's for me, it's it's just this reminder of like, yeah, you're there, you're covering politics, but like this is much bigger than you, right? And there are a number of people who are also doing this. And like I look around and like Gary Robertson has, has been doing this for, for 20 plus years. Uh, and Travis Fain has done this in, in three state capitals. And uh, Laura Leslie used to have this job, right? right. Like I, I to, a, to an extent, like truly I stand on her shoulders like doing this job. And she's been in Sacramento. So it's, it's I'll miss that. But you're not leaving the state. You're mm-hmm. staying at WUNC. Your children, young children, are North Carolinians, they born are. and raised here. They are. Sounds like you've come to love North Carolina. Well, I'm not going to. Oh, I love North Carolina. Yeah. Was that in doubt? I hope it, that wasn't in no, doubt. No, not in doubt. But fast-talking Yankee ways. I, I, can I talk about that? What do you love most about the mm. state? Are you surprised how much you love it? You're going to have to cut me off here. I could, I could go for a while, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to placate anybody. Um, I grew up a North Carolina Tar Heels fan. Um, now I, I realize I just alienated half your audience or, or two thirds of it, but I did. I truly, I grew up and I, I would play on the, you know, the driveway at home and, and, uh, Donald Williams was, was to, was my wing. And I, I had Dante Calabria uh-huh. in the backcourt with me. I was out there by myself just uh-huh. in case that's not clear. I loved Carolina. I remember driving up South road in Chapel Hill with my dad in the summer of 2000. We were on a college road trip. Now I never was going to get into Carolina. I didn't know that at the time. We didn't really appreciate that. I don't know if it's because the internet. I don't know what we just didn't know that. Ten minutes into the into the tour, where it was like, yeah, here's the here's the median SAT score and the average GPA. Like I looked at my dad, I was like, what the hell are we doing here? Like we can go now. Like this 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 ain't gonna happen. But we snuck down to the Dean Dome, hot, hot as can be. And again, I grew up in the Northeast, so it was so hot. The, the, the short of this is we, we went down to the Dean Dome, and I had been this, this fan of the Tar Heels, and I had to get into the building. So I started knocking on the door. It's, it's the middle of July. There's no one there. Mm-hmm. And I went around, and I think I went from like A to D, and at gate D, I saw someone. I'm banging on the door, and my dad is kind of mortified. He's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I was like that guy's going to let us in. He's like, no, he's not. 
So this, this, uh, this uh, custodian comes over and he opens up. He's like, can I help you? And I was like, yeah, man, like big, big Carolina fan. Like, can I just come in and, and uh, walk around for a few minutes? And he was like, he was like 10 minutes. And he just walks wow. away, went down to the floor and it was, wow. we had the That's whole place so to cool. ourselves. It was really neat. That is great. Um, so I came here in 2006 and it was very much uh, like I was going to be here for a year or two. That was, that was the plan. Uh, the college girlfriend was, uh, was teaching in New York city and, and I just, I wasn't going to stay here. Um, but that relationship ended and the job was good. Uh, working at the public radio station in Winston-Salem, I met my now wife, mother of my kids in Winston-Salem and it's just been a lot of fun. It's, right. it's, it's been a, a joy for the last, I don't know, I guess 16 years that I've been here and the other humble brag that hopefully doesn't trigger an eye roll, but my wife's family on her on her dad's side, they've been here since the 1660s. Oh, wow. um, so my kids are 14th generation North Carolinians. So it feels <laughs> like I got to have a, a darn good reason to, to up and go at this point. If you could change one thing, if you had a magic wand and you could change one thing about the way our politics is or policy, what would it be? Uh, uh, perhaps a, a relatively easy and achievable one. When I say relatively easy, I mean theoretically easy. Not like building a dormitory for lawmakers to live in. That would be fun, but that would cost a lot of money. Okay, we're not going to do that. How about a calendar? How about just a calendar for 2023 so that you know when session's going to be in? The, the news uh, media knows when session's going to be in. That new uh, House representative from Buncombe County who's going to replace Brian Turner because yeah. Brian Turner didn't run again because Brian right. Turner has a teenage daughter and is like, this is, this is for the birds. Like, I, right. I can't do this anymore. Okay. I, don't, I, I do know who it benefits to not have that schedule. I mean, it benefits the corner offices. It, it allows them to have a little bit more power. It allows them to, to lean on members. If you were to take a poll, whether you were to do it publicly or, or, or privately, who would like to see a detailed 2023 calendar for, for 16 West Jones Street? I mean, you're going to have about 93% of people go, yes, please. Yeah. Right? That would I think that would be my magic wand thing. Everybody would be happier. Yeah. You, you, I think, maybe yeah. being an idealist here, you'd get better stuff done. People would come to the table. You'd know, like, you you just have a better sense of like, okay, we're in for two weeks. We're going to work on this thing for two weeks, and then we're going to go back to our districts. And I don't know. Tell me I'm crazy. You're not crazy. Be able to take a vacation. Be able to tend to your business. Plan family events. It would be... I'm not particularly rigid or type A person, but like I need to have some semblance in my life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine being a law... I mean, I this is my full-time job. Like I get paid full-time to do this. I can't imagine having a law practice uh, or e- even if a vacation. Like There are stories of lawmakers having... Uh, to cancel vacations because there's the threat of an override vote coming. And it's like, yeah. this like this is not the... I'll ask it as a question. Is this really the best way to run a railroad? <laughs> and I, I think the majority of people will go, no, it's not. Yeah. But the, the, the biggest power brokers say it's the best way for them to run the railroad. Yeah. And it's been run this way. For a long time. Forever. Right. This is That's not just a Republican thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, Jeff Tiberi, we appreciate everything you do covering North Carolina politics, the General Assembly. We wish you well in your new endeavor. You certainly know how to do journalism better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. All right, so just a postscript on this conversation we had with Jeff, because we recorded him the week of Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. So we've learned uh, his show will be co-hosted with Leonita Inge, who is also at WUNC. They're going to have a a daily show. It's yet to be named. Best of luck, Jeff. Thank you for being on the show. And we look forward to hearing you on your daily show. Tweet Tweet of of the week. week. This week's Tweet of the Week comes from Lucille Sherman. She's at underscore Lucille Sherman, and she writes the Axios Raleigh newsletter that comes out every day. So she's based in Raleigh. That's important to know for the tweet. (laughs) And the tweet is that feeling when they have Charlotte mugs, but not Raleigh mugs at RDU. And it's a picture of Starbucks, been there series mugs, and they say where you've been, and they are all Charlotte mugs. Now, I will say that Michael Graff, who is a reporter out of Charlotte, responded, I'm right here, guys. Same internet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he also said, wait till Vi Lyles, that's the Charlotte mayor, starts doing recordings for RDU. <laughs> what I'll say about this is it just adds to the Charlotte versus Raleigh competitiveness Mm -hmm. and it feels like Raleigh is like NC State here and Mm -hmm. Charlotte is UNC like they just always feel they're better I think we think about Charlotte a lot here in Raleigh but Charlotte doesn't think about us at all (laughs) (laughs) you can't help but look around this office and tell that Christmas time is here you put up decorations the week of Thanksgiving and we're in the festive mood here the holidays are here don't you like it better when the Christmas lights are out I do like it it's a lot of fun yeah well I did go to the DGX the Dollar General Express (laughs) last year and I bought lights for the office so I put them back up one day this year when I had an attitude problem (laughs) 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 which is something I suffer with every day. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing about Skye. She will, let's just call it a mood. And she'll say, I need an attitude adjustment. And she will go out and do something to change her attitude. It might be a walk or or you'll just say it like, I need an attitude adjustment. I really appreciate that (laughs) self-accountability that you have with yourself. I know when I'm being mean to you. It doesn't mean I'm going to stop, but I'm aware. (laughs) I don't mind you being mean to me. Sometimes you could be mean to other people and I cringe. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Zach Wallace last week, you know, the podcast dropped last week from Asheville, and the poor guy, he just said, he said, Illinois, and he's in front of his home crowd there at the Asheville Chamber of Commerce, and you're like, the S is silent. And I was like, oh, God. What? (laughs) But we kept it. I'm trying to help him help himself. (laughs) That's the thing about you, though, is that... You don't pull people aside and say, 
hey, you're wrong. I want to correct you. You say it in front. We'll be with a client. You'll go, no, Brian, you don't know what you're talking about. And then you will tell (laughs) what is true. Yeah, that's one of your pet peeves about me. But I've gotten better, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I stopped saying, yeah, I already knew that. When someone tells me information. Yes. You, You can send Sky like a tweet or you say, did you hear this? I already heard that. It's like, just play along. Act as if you don't know and go, thank you for that information. This is taking me into something else, which is that on TikTok, it's been trending for couples to say their icks about one another. You have a list of icks. Yes, I do for you. (laughs) (laughs) But you. And so I was like, finally, this is getting some attention. The ick list. So you have a list of icks for a lot of folks in your life, right? <laughs> you keep files on people. And and explain what icks are for those of us. Like things that are just like they make you go ick or like if you're dating someone, something that you're like, Bleh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I just gave you my ick, and that is that you will publicly correct me in front of everyone. Oh, should I pull and, the, are you about to ask me for yours? And, and poor Zach Wallace, he's on the receiving end of it over in Asheville. By the way, Zach, thank you for having us in Asheville. We had such a great time. Thank you for being such a great host. That was a fun podcast to do. But yes, you pull up your ick list for me. Here's one I have for Brian. He'll ask you a question, you start to respond, and then he stops listening. And when you end and, you know, there's a pause for him to respond, he'll just say, really? <laughs> and it's like, you asked me the question. Why did you initiate a conversation if you're not going to engage? Okay. Sorry. What else? You say, are you ready to have fun? <laughs> are you just saying it? And I'm like, I didn't say it. I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> Can you shut up? <laughs> okay. Okay, that's enough of you, don't you think? I think I so. I mean, my list is... <laughs> Man, that's a long list. <laughs> but let's pull one that I have just for someone else. <laughs> and you're not going to say their name? No, but this is... Are they a listener? <laughs> yeah. Okay. But this is something that makes me laugh because this is just a note to myself, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and it just says, why is he always touching his nose? <laughs> I think I know who that is. <laughs> Can I ask why you keep a, a repository of icks on your friends? What, do, you, do you reference this? It's those? not on everyone. Okay. But you know, okay, I'm a big Apple notes taker. Mm-hmm. So I have a list of things. If you just mention to me something that you like, I'll put it on there. And then I use that for information gathering and also for (laughs) (laughs) and also for like gifts and stuff so like I like to keep a list of my people and things they like or if they tell me they don't like something I'll be sure to jot that down so I don't buy them whatever or if they don't like a certain food I don't make it for them it's amazing that you take the time to whip out your phone and just jot something in the notes as if you're a doctor As if you're a doctor writing into a patient's chart. See, I have nice things about you, too, though. I think that's what I wanted to highlight. Name one nice thing. One good thing about Brian is that in a social situation, he will always take the pressure off of me. And I love that. (laughs) 
because <laughs> I'm awkward. He's not awkward. He will liven it up. And I'll say, oh, this is my boss. And you always say, I'm not your boss. She's my colleague. And so that's if right. you introduce me, you introduce me that way. And I think that's nice. Yeah. There are no bosses here at New Friend. Clients are the bosses here. <laughs> <laughs> Clients and legislators. I'm looking forward to spending the holiday season here at the office with you. Yeah. Thank you for making this. Gift it giving so showdown. Good. Let's go. No, so much pressure. I think I'm going to try something this year. I hope you like it. But um, Is it the gift I asked you for last year that you refused to buy? What was that again? I wanted an ice pack for my hip. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, I got those ugly Birkenstocks. <laughs> As always, thanks for listening. And again, if you have any ideas for the podcast, if you have any unsubstantiated rumors, please get those to us. We're happy to share them on the podcast. We'll be back next week with the news of the week. But until then, please remember to do politics better.